Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Emily Marbach and Tim Jackson to Claudia Marbach for her love of Torah. My name is Claudia Marbach. I'm a fourth-year student studying at Yeshiva Maharat, the first Orthodox institution giving smicha to women. And I expect, God willing, to get smicha next June. I live outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Before I started my course of study at Yeshiva Maharat, I taught Mishnah and Talmud in a Jewish day school and there developed my love of Mishnah. I am planning to finish learning the entire Mishnah in time for my graduation and then hold a siyum or finishing party to celebrate both achievements. The subject of this podcast is Masechet, or Tractate Demai. It is seven chapters long and broadly deals with what you do with the produce that you harvest, thereby fitting into Seder or Order of Zraim, or seeds. Masechet, or Tractate Demai, deals with the issue of community trust and cooperation when there are varying levels of religious observance within a community. The discussion is framed by the seemingly unconnected topic of taxes. In the time of the temple, there was a series of taxes to support various communal institutions, as well as those that went to support the poor. The first of these tithes was on produce or first fruits, and is called truma. While the Torah does not specify an exact amount of truma to be given, the Mishnah, in tractate called truma, goes into the required amounts. So, here's a spoiler alert. The minimum required to give as truma, or first fruits, was set at 2%, although you could give more. The truma went to support the priests and their families so that they could perform their ritual and educational functions. Then, a tenth of what was left over of your produce was to be given to the Levites, who assisted in the rituals of the temple. That is called maser rishon, or the first tithe. Finally, there was a further 10% tithe called Maser Sheni, or the second tithe, that you needed to set aside to eat in Jerusalem, yourself. If you weren't going anytime soon, you could sell the produce, and then, when you did make the trip, you would use that money to buy food to eat in the holy city. Sort of a frequent flyer program of the ancient world. In some years, Maser Sheni, or the second tithe, was designated for the poor instead. So what does the community standards of observance have to do with taxes? The Torah states that the punishment for eating untithed food is death by the hand of God. So if you are more scrupulous and take that warning seriously, you don't want to imperil your life by eating food from which taxes have not been already removed. This gives a different meaning to the expression nothing is assured except death and taxes. The Tractate Demai describes a world in which There were more scrupulous people who were called Haverim and less scrupulous people called Ameha Aretz. Haver means friend, but also has the connotation of a member of a group. These were the more scrupulous observers. In fact, the Mishnah specifically used the language of Mechabel Alav. He accepted upon himself the scrupulousness or extra care. This is chosen out of religious devotion. In contrast, an Amha'aretz literally means a person of the land, what we might call the salt of the earth people, or just regular members of society less versed in the detail of Jewish law. The rabbis who discussed and codified the Mishnah 
for the most part, thought of themselves as a meritocracy. With hard work, anyone could be a scholar or Talmud Chacham. That came with the expectation of devotion to the law. If you knew what the law was, why would you not follow it? With any club, the in-members were suspicious of the outsiders. Demai literally means, did you? That is, did you take tithes for the Kohanim, for the priests, that would enable us to eat this food without fear of divine retribution? So the central question of this tractate is Demai, did you? Academic scholars debate whether the Mishnah was descriptive, i.e., what was actually being practiced or, or aspirational, what the rabbis wanted to see happen. There is self-reported evidence in the Talmud that the practice described in our tractate was practiced, at least for a while. A different tractate, Sota, speaks of Demai as being enforced in the time of Yochanan the high priest, or John Herkinus of the Maccabee family, who lived probably between the years 135 and 104 before the Common Era. He enforced separation of the required gifts by the producers and therefore exempted the purchasers. A Brita, which is what we call a Mishnah that was not included in the capital M Mishnah collection, but is quoted in the Babylonian Talmud, on the other hand, describes Yochanan as the person who first instituted Demai, upon discovering the laxity of tithe observance. This would argue that Demai was practiced. But by the time the Mishnah was compiled and edited, the temple had been destroyed for over a century. And probably with its destruction came the end of the tithing practice in 70 CE. In Israel today, most fruit and vegetable distributors and many people take symbolic tithes from their produce. So if they buy 10 oranges, they will take the price of one orange and give it to tzedakah, that is to say, to charity. So how do you answer the question of demai, or did you? When you live in a society with varying levels of adherence to the law, it becomes a question of trust. How much can you as a chaver, and the mission is, is primarily addressing chaverim, um, the scrupulous ones, rely on an am ha'aretz, a non-learned person in the area of tithes. Today we might reframe this as, how can we eat together? Because ultimately, this is all about eating together when we have different levels of observance. The chaverim, the scrupulous ones, would trust the am ha'aretz, the non-learned ones, only so far. Yet between the two groups, there were commercial and familial connections. This masechet is intended to help the chaverim navigate some of those sticky social situations. That said, the perspective of the rabbis in Tractate Demai is to be mekel or lenient with regards to the Torah laws. This is an unusual stance to take because the rabbis took laws that were explicitly explained in the Torah very seriously and were usually machmer or stringent in, for, in enforcing them. The tractate opens with a charge to the chavarim that we should be lenient in demai. The Mishnayot then list the produce from which the tithes are not required to be taken. The first chapter also discusses the social situations in which we are by default lenient. For example, if you are a chaver, a scrupulous one, and you're invited to an am ha'aretz, a salt-of-the-earth person's house for Shabbat dinner. What do you do? Tithing is not allowed on Shabbat. Be able to eat together you know on Shabbat. 
that you don't know. And if then your there's the age-old question: sake, What about not? your mother-in-law? Again, the question: yes, our tractate even did takes they? up this thorny problem. While during the Do week, you trust your mother-in-law that she did not separate says the tithes, and so is unreliable. And therefore, one is demai, and a chaver cannot eat. What he give? Shabbat might be a different thing. One Mishnah helpfully suggests, in other words, he that you even trust what she does in the kitchen, whether she'll give her the same food tithing back. in their kitchen. Depending the on your relationship, in the Mishnah, that will either be a welcome relief to the stress that a mother host, desires or a terrible insult and would be ashamed but what to if make you mistakes bump into your friend in front of her son-in-law? And she extends so, an invitation to Shabbat This lunch. is absolute proof on the same that day. in-law issues have so, been around same for question. a very long time. I, did she? On this Shabbat, assumption the states highlights the, the priorities of the rabbi. Assumed to be given the choice of dividing the families the doubt. or the community on Shabbat she has taken or not, they chose not. Through some these somewhat esoteric laws, they are teaching us that the real Jewish priority is eating together and talking together and being together despite our differences in observances or education. The chaverim, the scrupulous ones, might have said, "My observance is more important than one Friday night dinner." The rabbis instead wanted to discourage a holier-than-thou attitude and said, No, go eat. Do what you have to, be nice, and go eat. Other interesting ideas in our tractate is the idea of a monopoly. The question arises that if one person buys all of the bakery bread in the city and then resells it to individuals, do they take the tithe from every batch, or can they tithe from the wholesale purchase? The rabbis did answer that every batch needs to be tithed, but that's so you don't have to ask the question, demai, did they? As an individual, you can be scrupulous in your own practice. Ultimately, our Masechet, our tractate, is concerned with trust. The Mishnah prods the boundaries of this trust using demai as the example. If a stranger comes to town, says another Mishnah, and asks who can be relied on to separate tithes, and someone replies, I'm reliable, that person is not believed, because you can't vouch for yourself. If he names another person, he can be believed. Would you trust someone who very quickly says, trust me, trust me? The Mishnah says no. Another Mishnah discusses various people whom one might legitimately give demai too. As we've already seen, since treating the produce of an Amha Aretz is demai, that is doubting whether it was tithed, was only a rabbinical stringency, the rabbis allowed the law to be lenient in circum- certain circumstances. And here's the Mishnah we're going to focus on today, in chapter 3, Mishnah 1. This Mishnah discusses various people to whom one might legitimately give demai, even though you know it's demai. As we have already seen since treating the produce of an Amha Aretz as demai, that is, doubting whether it was tithe, it was only a rabbinic stringency, the rabbis allowed the law to be lenient in certain circumstances. So here's the beginning of our text. They may feed demai to the poor and to guests. Rabban Gamliel, who was a great leader of the Jewish people, used to feed demai to his workmen. So what does this mean? Since the rules of demai are only stringencies, then there are certain leniencies. One is that a person may use demai to feed the poor and to feed his guests. It is a mitzvah, a positive commandment, to feed both the poor and to treat guests hospitably. And hence, one can use demai, if that's what you have. 
Others explain that the Hebrew word, which I have translated and explained as for guests, actually means passing troops, soldiers who are treated like the poor because they have no home to call their own and may be billeted in your home. Rabban Gamliel would even feed Demai to his workers, probably because there's a mitzvah for an employer to feed his workers. Here's the second half. As for charity collectors, whom you might think have a different standard, the school of Shammai says they should give tithe produce to ones who don't tithe and untithe produce to ones who do tithe. In this way, it will turn out that everyone will eat produce that has been tithed. But the sages say they may collect indiscriminately and distribute indiscriminately, and one who wishes to fix this produce by tithing it can do so. So what are we talking about here? According to the school of Shammai, which is usually the more stringent of these two, of these pair of interlocutors, when the charity collectors collect produce to give to the poor, they should separate the tithe produce from the untithe produce, have two baskets, and give the tithe produce to those who won't tithe it, and the untithe produce to those who will. In other words, the charity collector has the responsibility to make sure that those receiving charity observe the laws of tithing. The other opinion is attributed to the sages, but there is a cross-reference to our Mishnah in the Tractate of Sukkah. Stay tuned to my description of that tractate in a few weeks. In Tractate Sukkah, this second opinion is attributed to the school of Hillel, who's usually the person on the other side of the opinion from the school of, Sh- of Shammai. The school of Hillel, on the other hand, gives greater trust and freedom to people. Charity collectors can collect either tithed or untithed produce, and then it will be up to the person buying it to decide whether to tithe or not. Perhaps we may even say that there is something beneficial about leaving the choice to tithe in the hands of the purchaser. By choosing to tithe, he is making a more active choice as to his religious observance, as opposed to the school of Shammai system, in which a person has to tithe, or at least his produce will end up being tithed, without having any choice in the matter. The implication is that the law goes according to the school of Hillel. I think that this Mishnah highlights a few of the themes that we have been talking about throughout the Tractate of Demai. First, that while the restriction on Demai may be serious, there are more important values such as feeding the poor and feeding guests. Being in community is a greater value than personal scrupulousness. Second, although the consensus in this tractate is that being a chaver or a scrupulous observer is a great value, one can't force such behavior on others. One has to choose for oneself. I hope you enjoy this podcast and choose to keep learning. Have a great day. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.